Well, good morning. I asked our friends in Alaska if we could show that because it's a unique definition of family. A couple college kids, um, they came together and said, hey, we, even us, not understanding what it is to raise kids or take care of children, we can, we can step in. Um, and so uh, one of the things that I want us to think about is how do we define family and, and, um, um, and maybe we need to expand kind of our definition of that. Um, good morning. My name is Steve Pringle. Um, I am uh, the director of uh, Safe Families here in Portland. A unique opportunity to work with uh, some really cool people who have said yes to God in a new way and have opened up their homes to people that they wouldn't have ever have known. And how do we get in contact and connect? Um, and um, I want to share a little bit about that. I do want to say there are a number of children in the room, and I want you to know, if, keep them in the room. Don't, don't worry. Um, I love hearing uh, the, the maybe not, you don't want to hear a lot of noise from your child, but um, when we just come into community, come together, and we say, this is all of us, right? So uh, don't worry about that. Uh, mainly because we talk about is how do we care for children, and how do we care for um, families that are struggling like we do as parents sometimes as well. So um, a couple of things that I I would just point out and just ask is what do we do when you have a single mom with five children who's trying to complete a drug rehab program? What do you do if you're afraid you're going to lose your kids and lose custody of your kids? Do you stay in the program? What about an undocumented single dad with two children vacillating between housing instability, which is a generous term, and homelessness? What about an unaccompanied homeless teen trying to graduate from high school without a safe place to live? Or a single mom going into the hospital without a safe place for her two boys? You can't be admitted to the hospital with children. Your children have to to go somewhere. And so a lot of those kids end up in foster care unnecessarily because... There's no one to show up and help mom. What about an infant born but waiting for adoption? A teenage girl who's in conflict with her father? A family evicted from their apartment and living in their car, cold, tired, and trying to find a new place? A single mom working two jobs, trying to pay rent and keep their housing, but has no one to watch her kids, so risks leaving her kids at home while she works that second shift. These are all situations that are happening within a couple miles from here. So as we go through and we talk about safe families, I do want us to look at it from a biblical place, though, and understand this is resurrecting, in a sense, and rechampioning biblical hospitality. Um, I'm a former teacher, so they said I had about 60 minutes before the bell rings. So I'll watch the clock back there. Um, and I will use my Bible. I brought it up here because I thought I was supposed, you know, you should bring it up. I have it all written. I'm going to use actual scripture. I promise it's right here, but it'll get in the way with this podium. So, um, Mother Teresa says, the problem with our world is that we draw the circle around family too small. Hmm. So let's define some terms. We think about hospitality. The English language is kind of weak sometimes when we think about what what the Bible is trying to say and what words were written in Greek and Hebrew and then trying to translate those into English. And sometimes the words are just weak. But generosity, and, and this is a very generous, a very hospitable 
um, a very compassionate community. We've noticed that. Our family's been here. This is our third morning. The first morning, we didn't make it past the entryway before we met like six people who said, hey, you're new. Hey, you're new. Um, So it's built into the DNA here. Generosity is open-handed sharing, giving liberally and spontaneously. And there's all sorts of joy that's implied in this word. Compassion literally means to suffer with someone. And hospitality is not about entertaining, it's about showing love to a stranger. So as we dive into um, scripture here, you know, some scripture is really hard. You know, we get to wrestle with it, and it's kind of fun. I like to geek out on scripture some, and what does he mean here, and how do you do that, and what do you mean, you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and I'm, you know, those kind of things. Jesus kind of freaks me out sometimes, and people left him when he said stuff like that, because it was hard. But there's a whole lot of stuff in here that's not that hard. It's just hard to do. It's not hard to understand. My son memorized this week where I want to start this this passage. He said, do not merely listen to the word of God and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You've got to do something. True religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless is to do this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So what if we really lived like we believed what these words are saying. Some of it's really clear, but we can keep looking through. And I, and I want us to think about it. When we think about safe families and we talk about widows and orphans, one of the things I really want to point out is all those parents that I talked about when I started, the single dad and the couple that's in the car, they are the orphan. They are the one without people. Their children have parents. And I'm becoming more and more convinced that if we care about vulnerable children, then we're going to love their parents. And we're going to reach out to them. So let's look a little bit at what Scripture says about these things. And I'm keeping track of time. Psalm 82, 3 and 4 says, Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of of the wicked. These are action words. Defend, uphold, rescue, deliver. And you guys that are raising kids and thinking about raising compassionate kids, you know, it's interesting. When you look at rescuers, they did a study on Holocaust rescuers, people who rescued Jews during that time, and found 10 things in common as they looked at those folks. They were adventurous. They were risk takers. So think about when you're raising your kids, how do you want them to be? They identified with a morally strong parent They had an experience of being marginalized or being left out or undervalued themselves. They had an empathetic imagination, the ability to place themselves in the same situation that the people they were helping. They had the ability to present oneself, to speak up. They were skilled at cooperating. They were exposed to suffering at an early age. They had the ability to examine their own prejudices. They belonged to a community or a group that valued compassion and they knew that they weren't alone themselves. And they grew up in a home where hospitality had a high value. So you think about raising your kids and maybe stepping into something risky, an action of compassion, the action of living out our faith, it will have an effect on our kids for the positive. Isaiah 58 says this, And this one was tricky for me at one point when I read this because it really unnerved me a little bit. It says, this is the kind of fast day that I'm after. To break the chains of the injustice, to get rid of exploitation in the workplace, to free the oppressed, to cancel debts. 
What I'm interested in is seeing you do this, sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering and ill-clad, and being available to your own families. It's a different translation maybe than you've heard. Bring the homeless poor into your homes. That's, we translate that shelter the poor. Institutionalized shelters didn't exist when this was written. So it's come, bring them into your home. Give them a place, right? Like actually stay in my house. There's kind of a myth, you know, I mean, we look at the, the story of the nativity of, of the innkeeper, right? He's kind of in our nativity story. He's just not in scripture, right? There wasn't any room for them. There wasn't a guest room for them. There wasn't, they didn't have like, you know, Yelp and TripAdvisor to go. Is there a hotel available in Bethlehem? There's this big thing happening, right? They, they went and they knocked on doors and asked for a place. Could you imagine how desperate they must have felt in that, in that time? Um, I just wonder if, you know, when we think about it, we tell the story of when our kids were born and we laugh, Car and I laugh, my wife Carly, we laugh sometimes about some of the things around that birth, the stuff that's laughable. Other stuff, you know, there's, I've heard, you know, you know is it, was it a natural childbirth or, you know, I mean, Mary sort of gets to take the cake on, on this storytelling about, let me tell you what really happened. We went into this town, it was late, we couldn't find anywhere. So we ended up staying with a bunch of animals, right? Imagine this at a party. Um, animals, they were really animals, you know, like really animals, we, we placed them in a manger. Um, ultimately, they became refugees themselves. They had to ask for help along the way. Luke 14 says this, Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. John Newton, who wrote a little song that we know, Amazing Grace, said about this. He said, one would almost think that Luke 14, 12 to 14 was not considered part of God's word, nor has any part of Jesus' teaching been more neglected by his own people. I do not think it's unlawful to entertain our friends, but if these words do not teach us that, that it is in some respects our duty to give preference to the poor, I'm lost to understand them. Are we giving preference to the poor, those in need? Maybe we just don't know them, right? That's, that's true. It's hard to know. Um, Matthew uh, 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit in his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from its goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. 
Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger and invite you in? And when, when did we, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king replied, I truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. It's interesting, isn't it? Whatever we do for the least, the saying is, be ready, right? Remember um, talking to um, a woman and that wanted to, that heard us talk about safe families, and she wanted to become a host family. She was like, "I'm ready. I want to start this. I want to get upstream of, of abuse and neglect. I, I want to be a part of the solution. I'm going to start this." And the training takes a little bit of time and whatnot. That afternoon, no joke, an unaccompanied teenage girl, very vulnerable. We look at what happens in our community. In 48 hours, when a, a girl leaves her home and runs away, the dangers that she's in in 48 hours, it's crazy. This girl knocked on this door of this woman's house asking for help. The day after, she said, hey, I'm going to start. I'm going to do this. I mean, God put her in the game the next day. She knocked on her door, and she found a person of peace. She found someone saying, I'm willing the gal said, hey, I, I mean, she was, I need a ride, and blah, 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 just, and, and she said, well, wait, and she said, never mind, and she walked away, and the gal went after this girl and said, come into my house, sit down, tell me your story, and then we had to say, okay, we got we to gotta move this gal forward as quickly as possible, and how do we help her? It's just because somebody said, I have room. Um, reading the early church fathers they encouraged all of the church to have a Jesus room in their home. Just in case you have a room that's ready for when Jesus might come stay in the form of a beggar, a traveler, someone who's sick, Jesus might just show up. So have a room ready in your home. Mother Teresa, again, one of my favorites, she said, she sought to see Jesus in every person she met and cared for. And she said, I comfort Jesus in the distressing disguise of the poor. It's looking at Jesus. So let's dive into what I really want to talk about. Jesus makes things really clear. And, you know, I want to, I want to say is that being a neighbor is simple, but it's not easy. Right? Stepping up and stepping out to help People in crisis is simple, but it's not, not easy. It costs something. Luke 10 says this, on, an, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you answered correctly, do this and you'll live. I mean, it boils down the whole thing to love God with everything and to love your neighbor as yourself. But he wanted to justify himself. He doesn't want to do justice, he wants to justify himself. And who's my neighbor? Okay, let's, uh, let's talk nitty gritty. Who's my neighbor? So Jesus says, fine, let me tell you a story. A man was going down to Jerusalem um, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by the other side. So too a Levite, 
came to, to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, and this is the scandal of this entire story, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper. There's that innkeeper again. That's the first time we actually see the innkeeper. Look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell at the hands of the robber? And the expert in the law, okay, and the law is scripture. The expert in the law says, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. The motive of the expert is to test Jesus. He just wants to test him. And Jesus comes back and says, well, what do, you, what do you say? And then he's like, well, then do it. Don't merely know the word, right? Do what it says. Well, but it might be inconvenient. The Samaritan in this parable, it's a scandal of compassion. Samaritans are religiously different. They're ethnically different. They're socially different. They look back on them through history and go, your ancestors intermarried with like the Assyrians who came and took over and my ancestors got shipped to you know, Nineveh and then you guys stayed here in, in the land and then you took on other things too, right? Mixed religion and the rest of it. And Jesus makes him the hero. This is what's interesting about this story. The Samaritan didn't pick his neighbor. He didn't pick his neighbor's circumstances. He didn't pick his neighbor's crisis. He didn't pick his neighbor's politics. He didn't ask his neighbor how he felt about Jewish and Samaritan relations. He was willing to be inconvenienced. He picked up his neighbor. He bandaged his wounds. He paid the tab. He took responsibility. And he stayed in relationship. And ultimately, he loved well. Go and do likewise, Jesus says. Love your neighbor. I wonder if Jesus actually meant to love our neighbor, like our literal neighbor. It seems like he's trying to paint that picture. Let me tell you a non-literal story to tell you is, love your neighbor. Let me tell you the extreme case, love that person. People right next to you, love them too. Love your neighbor. G.K. Chesterton said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and largely left untried. It is hard. Go and do likewise. Save families for children. Let me talk about that for a minute. Because we're trying to do is basically mobilize the church, give the church an opportunity to go and do likewise in a new way, another way. It's actually an ancient way, but maybe it's new, a new way. Um, so we're part of a national movement that's 15 years old. Um, it began in Chicago with a dream. What if, what, what if we got upstream of abuse, neglect, neglect and, and foster care? What if there was another way? It's a movement that's fueled by compassion to keep children safe and families intact. That's what we want to do. We want to keep families together. Through host families, family friends, family coaches, we temporarily offer um, a place for children to be and a network to come around the parents while they're dealing with whatever situation that they're in so that they can come back together and be a family. Um, these are people who have open hearts, open homes, open arms. Um, it's, like, it's like developing extended family-like relationships where they don't exist. That's what it really is. It's not complicated. It's hard, 
but it's not complicated. Safe Families for Children is volitional. Families that are asking for support rather than it being mandated. Sort of families that are saying, I need help. Imagine where you need to be when you finally do that, what you might be facing. It's temporary. Most hostings last uh, around two weeks. The average in the country is about 40 days, but really in Portland, it lasts about two weeks. Some are longer. We've had teenagers that have been in homes for over a year trying to graduate, these unaccompanied kids. Um, and families have just said, we have room. It's supplemental, not substitutionary parenting. It's coming around to support parents so that they can be the parent. It's relational. Um, we started doing this three years ago when the churches in Beaverton were saying to me, Steve, we see a homeless crisis, but we don't know how to engage with the, with, in relationship with people who are in that situation. How do we do that? And so we went and literally just blind dated everybody that's operating in that circle and saying, what is needed? And it's like, well, it would be great if there was a place for kids to be so it was stable while, while their parents stabilize. Um, our objectives are this. Um, keeping kids safe during a family crisis, so preventing abuse and neglect. Supporting and stabilizing isolated families in crisis by surrounding them with a caring and compassionate community, one like this. And ultimately, reuniting families and reduce the number of children entering the foster system. So it's about prevention and deflection. Our, our referrals come from schools, DHS, the hospital, um, social workers, churches, um, words getting out, we're getting more and more calls. Um, people step in to stay families because of homelessness or hospitalization, uh, recovery programs, just being overwhelmed with whatever life situation is happening and not having anyone, right? We know that we, I mean, even from this community, we could call Dom and, and Dom and Christine would step into our world and they can call us. Right? I'm sure that's the case throughout this community is what I'm guessing. You lean on one another. What's well, just creating that for families that don't have it? So we're compelled to do this just out of love. We've been loved well by God. So let's love people, right? Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. It's very simple, right? I mean, really, the Christian faith can be kind of summed up into those two things and then go tell Jesus a story, right? That's the third thing. Go tell the story. So we wonder is this, what if? What if it wasn't shameful for families to ask for help. It's hard to do, right? Probably like that for you too. It's hard to ask for help. But what if it wasn't shameful to do that? They knew that the people who came around would, would not be judgmental. Why are you in this circumstance? You shouldn't be in this circumstance. You are in this circumstance. Let's wrap around you. And then we'll start sorting things out with you. What if single parents were connected to support instead of being socially isolated? So, social isolation is the number one indicator for abuse and neglect and just about every other thing that's, that's going wrong in our, in our communities. People are isolated and alone. Community is what, what, what helps people. What if parents could get help without having to stop being parents? Right? Most of these parents are afraid they're going to lose their kids. And their kids love their parents like crazy. What if a family's safety net was their neighbor? instead of their government. So we work hand in hand with Oregon DHS, trying to do is get upstream of this. So what, what do we do? Um, we recruit homes like foster families. We recruit uh, folks like social workers that actually get trained, but they're just lay people. This isn't clinical. It's just opening, offering who you are. 
Um, I think it's important to know about Oregon is this, is just in the Portland area, there's over 8,000 homeless students in the Tri-County area in our school districts. 8,000. Beaverton, how many of you live in Beaverton or, or, or would go to Beaverton schools, just out of curiosity? Anyone? Couple? It's like 2,300 kids in the Beaverton school district. That goes from, from birth through um, high school. The numbers that we normally get are, are pre-K to, to uh, seniors in high school, but Beaverton does a really good job of counting. 2,300 kids. Um, I think it's important to note, you know, we want to be number one in things, but num- Oregon is number one in child homelessness. And not meaning like all these kids are by themselves. They're with their parents and they're homeless. Um, there's nearly 30,000 re- reports of abuse and neglect in the Tri-County area last year. 30,000 reports. And only 10% of those are founded. So that means that there's a whole lot of other situations that where people are in crisis, that what if the church were to step in, surround them? I, I, I was looking at this last year thinking, is, man, what's a big goal for us? And our big goal was, what if we could serve 2% of that unserved number? What if we could just serve 2% of those roughly, let's say, 26,000 um, calls that go unfounded? Just 2%. That's 520 families. We're nowhere near that. But 2% is our goal. That'd be great. We saw 100 this last year. So we're going. People are stepping in. But 2%, that's not a, that's not a big, big number, but that's what we want. Um, I think it's important to note that Oregon is number 10 in foster care placements in the country. Right? And we don't have enough foster families. We have a crisis right now for foster families. And the church is stepping up. Child welfare just recently said the future of child welfare in Oregon is every child, which is the foster movement in the church, and safe families for children, which is the prevention arm of it. What if the church were to step in? The state is looking at the church saying, will you help? Please. Um, And they see that it works. Someone reminds me often is we don't have a housing crisis in Portland as much as we have a relationship crisis. If we knew people and we let people connect and came around them, would that help solve part of our housing crisis? Possibly. So now what? And I'm, I'm over time, so I'm, I'm, I'm the buzzer sounded, but I'm going to wrap up here with a couple things. One is I think for the, the opportunity for the church, in order for us to be people of hospitality, particularly with the poor, we have to overcome our own poverty. Gary Haugen said this, we have three poverties. The poverty of compassion, that we just don't care enough. The poverty of purpose, we just don't know what to do. And the poverty of hope. The problem seems so great that it seems like whatever it is I do just can hardly help anything. And I think we have to get over those things and say that, hey, one, I'll do, I can do one. What if, I could, what if we as a community could just surround just one family for just one year? What difference would happen in their lives? Right? And I wonder is what if two or three families here um, had the capacity already or are willing to have their capacity stretched to host fa- children of families in crisis in their home? What if? Just a couple. Um, there's so many ways that you could be engaged. You could be a host family and host kids in your home. You could be a family coach, which we would train you to actually come around and be an extension of kind of that safety net of uh, co- coaching the host family and the placing family. You could be a family friend, a mentor to a mom, to a dad, to a teen. 
Uh, you could bring a meal. You could babysit. You could provide transportation. You could get in any other tangible, creative way. What if your missional communities decided that you could take on a family for a year, wrap around? What if there's one person that says, I'm going to do this, but I'll do it when you come around me? I sat with a church recently where a host family, a family said, we want to be a host family, but would you come and we're going to meet with our church? We're just going to stand up and tell them we're not doing this unless our church is behind us. And that is the way that change is going to happen in a family, when a whole group of people step in together and do ministry together and you become a circle of support. We're entering a really exciting time. The state is looking at safe families and saying is we actually believe that this is the, the pathway forward for deflecting and preventing um, kids entering foster care. And so what they're saying is this, is we want to enter into a three-year partnership with you to have the church demonstrate that it can deflect 10% of the kids entering foster care. 10%. Can we do it? That's what we're going to try to demonstrate in three years. Because we believe the church can. The question, and this is the same question we started with when churches were saying, Steve, how do we get engaged with the homeless? Is that the question is, are we willing to go long and dirty? To really dive in and move out of transactional ways into transformational ways of ministry. Where our action steps in and it costs something relationally. I think that's where the bigger blessing um, is ultimately. So thank you for your hospitality this morning. Thank you. Our family has experienced it already. Um, um, we enjoy communion crackers, particularly my wife was really excited about the kind of communion crackers that are here. Um, but we've personally experienced it. My son, our first Sunday here, um, came up to Dominic afterwards and said, I've never felt more welcome in a place than I did here. He's 11. I think he's welcome, feels welcome in a lot of places, but he said, everybody is so welcoming. So many people said hello. So it's in the DNA of this community. So I'm excited to see what will happen. So Jesus, remember, he, he finishes that story um, with a good Samaritan like this. Go and do likewise. So let's live like we really believe that he meant what he said. So thanks for having me this morning.